Welcome to Pat Sherlock's podcast series, interviews with top mortgage sales leaders. Learn practical tips for improving sales management results. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Pat Sherlock, and welcome to the podcast. Today's topic is a deeper dive on cryptocurrency. I have the expert on this topic, and I'm thrilled to have Dan Habib. Dan is EVP of MBS Highway, which everyone knows, and he has his own company, Crypto Charged. He is doing education on the crypto market in addition to the MBS market. Uh, Dan has been 18 years in our business, uh, including Morgan Stanley and other mortgage companies, and he's also a rising star in the top 40 under 40. So I'm thrilled to have Dan with us. Hi, Dan. Hey, Pat. Thank you so much for having me on your show here. Well, I appreciate you doing this. And what started this, as I mentioned to you, um, a couple weeks ago uh, in the Inman conference in New York, they had Ryan uh, Sirhan, who was a famous millionaire real estate agent. And he talked about that he saw 10 years from now, the crypto would be 50% of all the transactions in the mortgage space. So I thought that was a, a good opener to really have people understand about this market. And so I think it'd be important, Dan, for you to talk about in the big picture, how did it start? And then we'll go from there. Yeah. So I, first of all, on that topic, I think that the cryptocurrencies, the adoption that we're seeing is, you know, a little bit faster than the adoption we saw of the internet. So you're seeing many more people use cryptocurrencies, invest in cryptocurrencies, and you're seeing so much big money being spent developing in the space. And you have huge companies out there that are dedicating you know, divisions of their company to really building out on the blockchain, companies like Square. And you know, even some companies have started to put Bitcoin on their balance sheet, like MicroStrategy and Tesla. So it's nothing that's going to be going away. And if anything, I think you're going to see a lot more adoption in 2022. In 2021, we saw a ton of adoption. And this is stuff that I think is important to get your arms around because, listen, change happens faster than we can ever imagine. It's hard to believe that the Internet hasn't been around that long, but you could see how much that's had a profound impact on the way we do business today. I truly feel that cryptocurrencies, but specifically the blockchain, which is really exciting, can really impact the way we're doing business, not in 10 years, but over the next few years, you can see some really significant changes, in my opinion. So, listen, this can be a difficult topic to understand, right? I mean, I see so many people being an educator in the space, investing in cryptocurrencies, and I don't even know what they're investing in, right? I mean, people hear about Bitcoin and Ethereum and the blockchain, and it can be a little mystifying and difficult to understand. So I thought it would be helpful to kind of take a step back and try to give you some analogies and a brief explanation of what cryptocurrencies are, and then we can get into some of the ways that I think it can change business going forward. So in order to understand cryptocurrencies, which operate in a decentralized finance system, I think it's important for us to just understand the kind of finance system that we're in in the United States today. And that is very much a centralized finance system. So what I mean by that is that we have some key players that really facilitate the flow of money and also dictate how much money is out there and really what the cost of money is. So the big one that everybody's been hearing about because they're planning on doing some pretty significant moves this year is the Federal Reserve. So the Fed controls the money supply. And when they feel that you know we need to stimulate the economy and we need more money out there, the Fed can print digital dollars. Now, they don't have a printing press like they used to, right? But they basically create digital money out of thin air. And the Federal Reserve has increased the United States money supply by over 40% in just the last 18 months alone. 
So you guys have heard about inflation out there. And of course, you've all been feeling it. You go to the pump, you go to the store. Well, inflation right now is going up at a rate of seven and a half percent year over year, which is the hottest inflation in 40 years. So this is a side effect of having somebody like the Federal Reserve that has absolute control in the supply of money. They also can dictate the cost of money. They have what's called the federal funds rate, and they can choose to either hike it, which we're talking about them thinking about doing in March, which I think is all but 100 percent. They're going to hike rates and they can cause the cost of money to go up. So the Fed plays a very important role. And another thing that's of note is that they can change the record. You've heard of different bailouts occurring after you know the financial crisis that we had, where they can literally change the ledger and they can erase debts and say, you know what, this company doesn't owe this money anymore. So the Fed plays a big role, but so do banks. Now, most of the transactions today are done digitally. If you look at a cash transaction, which makes up a very small percentage of transactions that we do, that's a pretty easy transaction to understand. I give the you know, person selling me a good or service to cash, they give me the goods in return, and boom, that transaction is kind of final and pretty done. But because most of the transactions are done digitally, we need these middlemen, whether it's a credit card company or a bank, that facilitates the flow of money in our economy. Now, these banks, what do they do? Well, they keep track on a ledger. So let's say I'm going shopping and I have my debit card. What happens, right? I swipe my debit card, and then that processing machine goes and checks my bank to make sure that I have the funds that I say I do. You see, the big problem with digital money is they want to make sure you can't spend the same digital dollars twice. So essentially, Pat, they want to make sure I can't go swipe my debit card three times real quick and spend more than I have in my account. So mm -hmm. what they do is behind their security wall, they are keeping a ledger for Dan. And they're putting in all the credits and all the, de and all the uh, debits, and they keep a running tally of how much money I have in there. So we really trust these banks. And the banks have a lot of power as well. Now, listen, I'm not going to mention any names, but whenever you have absolute power, you can certainly have some people that maybe misbehave. And we've seen some churning of accounts from some banks out there. And I think cryptocurrencies are really you know, in vogue right now, especially with some of the stuff that we're hearing overseas and, and, and in other countries. I'm sure that everybody's been kind of following along with this freedom convoy in Canada. Well, you know, essentially what they're trying to do there and not trying to get political in any way or any kind of debates. But what's happening is, is you have some individuals that they don't want to be mandated to wear masks in this you know, convoy. Right. And what they're doing is anybody that's tied to supplying money or supporting these individuals. Well, guess what? The banks are freezing your assets in Canada, which is a scary thing to think about. So when we have in our current centralized finance system, we have these banks that have a lot of power and we we own our money, but they kind of control it to a degree. So they can, they can freeze your accounts if they want to. And also a lot of these different uh, processes that we do, they take time and they're slow and they're also costly. What I mean by that is, is that if you're on the receiving end of a credit card payment, you know, it could take 28, 24 to 48 hours to clear. A check can take 72 hours to clear. ACH payments, 48 hours. And if you want to send a wire domestically, that can happen rather quickly. But if you want to send an international wire, that could take a week or so to happen. It could take a lot of money. And then what happens if you want to go ahead and you know send a wire after 5 p.m. for most banks or on the weekends, right? So the key thing that I'm trying to explain here is that in our current system, the Fed controls the money supply and banks really control the facilitation and flow of funds. And we don't bank ourselves. So we have to rely on a bank for that. And as I explained to you, this is something that's very different in the cryptocurrency world. And just to use an analogy for you of what cryptocurrencies are trying to do, they're trying to decentralize the flow of money. 
and the control of money. And to use an example here, the internet is something that decentralized the flow of information. You know, before the internet, information was very largely centralized. There was a few key sources that we would get information from. Who here remembers when you wanted to do some research on something and you would go and get those, what, Britannica encyclopedias at the library? <laughs> and, you know, there's, there's an old saying that says that history is written by the victors. Well, essentially what you had was you had a few thousand writers that literally wrote history. Now, could they have been looking at things through a different lens? Could they have omitted things? Yeah, I bet if you looked at some history books from the United States versus other countries, it would tell a little bit of a different story, right? So with this centralization, you can have some manipulation that occurs. But this all changed when we got the internet. And the internet really decentralized the flow of info. And now instead of you know a few thousand writers that write in this encyclopedias, what do you have? You have uh, this internet out there that you have things like Wikipedia. And Wikipedia, instead of having a few amount of writers, you have hundreds of thousands of writers out there that can fact check each other. And it totally erases most of this bias that you can see out there. So let's enter in here one of the cryptocurrencies that everybody knows, which is Bitcoin. So here's what I want you to think about Bitcoin. It is essentially a new monetary system and it's a decentralized monetary system. So it does not have the need for any middlemen out there like the banks. It doesn't have a need for the Federal Reserve that's going to be dictating how much money is gonna be out there, what the cost of money should be. And with cryptocurrencies, you have complete control of your money, meaning that you actually bank yourself. You actually act as your own bank and you have something called a crypto wallet that you can keep all your cryptocurrencies in and nobody can freeze it on you. Nobody can tell you that you can't send it you know, at any time you want. I can send cryptocurrencies to somebody on the other end of the world, typically in minutes and for much less than it would cost if I were to try to do that by wiring money. So it's a completely different finance system and is decentralized. Now with Bitcoin specifically, there's a finite amount. There's only 21 million Bitcoin that can ever be created. So it's almost like a digital gold, right? There's only so much gold that you can extract from the earth. You don't have the Federal Reserve that says, hey, let's create more gold. And this is something where the transactions are final. So when things operate on the blockchain, the transactions, you can't go ahead and erase them and say some company doesn't owe this money anymore. Every transaction is final and what's called immutable. So there's no changing of the record. But here's the question that it brings up. Well, and this is the exciting part in my opinion. Well, if we're gonna have this new finance system without any middlemen, without any banks, well, who's gonna keep track of who's sending who money? Who's gonna keep track of how much money that you have? And the answer is the blockchain. Now the blockchain can sound crazy and confusing, but really what it is, is it's a way of verification. And it can be used for many, many, many things. It can be used for transactions, right? Like we're talking about with Bitcoin. But as we're going to get into, it can be used for so much more. So how does it work? Well, instead of there being a ledger that is hidden behind your bank's privacy wall, this is a transparent ledger. So blockchains are completely transparent. Anybody can see them and they can operate like a bank ledger, but in an open format where everybody can see transparently what transactions are going on. Now, who keeps track of these transactions? Well, there's millions of computers on the Bitcoin network. And all these computers, what they do is they verify the transactions. Instead of just having the bank do it, all of these computers are verifying these transactions against each other. Now, you might wanna ask yourself, 
well, why would these people want to do this, right? Why would they want to use their computing power? Why would they want to partake in keeping this network secure? And the answer is they are financially incented to do so. The financial reward is in the right place. If you are on the Bitcoin network and you are the first to record the, the records to the blockchain, well, guess what? You get rewarded in actual Bitcoin. Right now, you know what the reward is? It's 6.25 Bitcoin. Now, of course, you're not going to get this every time. And different computer networks out there are basically competing to be the first ones to verify this. And they're using their processing power. But you're getting a reward with around $240,000 if you're the first to verify the transactions. And you also get any fees tied to, their, to any of these transactions as well. So you're financially incented to do so. But also, this is the interesting part. This is the only new way that Bitcoins are brought into the system. So nobody is out there saying, hey, we're going to go ahead and create more Bitcoin. It is on a set schedule. And essentially, when you verify transactions and keep the network secure, the byproduct is that you get a reward for mining the transactions of 6.25 Bitcoin. And that is the only way new Bitcoins are created. So it's extremely different than our current financial system. But there's much more out there than just Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin is kind of the one that proved that cryptocurrencies could work on a blockchain. But you have Ethereum out there and all these other different altcoins, all of which have different utility and different use cases. Now, the one that's Ethereum that many people that are in the space are interested in or are at least familiar with, that's actually kind of like a network. So just like you have the Internet that runs on the protocol called TCPIP, well, Ethereum is its own network. And imagine if you could have went back to when the internet was created and you could have invested in TCPIP. Now, it wasn't an investable asset, but boy, would you have been a rich person today? Well, Ethereum is its own new type of internet. And you have all these other different companies that are developing their products on the Ethereum network, just like you have companies today that are operating on the internet as we know it. Well, you have all these different networks now that are being created that are decentralized. And you have these applications, or they're called dApps. So instead of an app, it's a dApp, which is a decentralized app. And they go ahead and create their own products on these different networks like Ethereum. Think of it like this. On your iPhone, you have what's called the iOS is the operating system, right? And you can go to your app store and download different programs from different companies. Some of them are free, some of them you pay for. And those are applications that run on the iOS system. Or if you're using an Android phone, you have applications that run on like the Google Play Store there. So this is kind of the way it works in this kind of cryptocurrency economy. So blockchains, though, as I mentioned, can be used for so much more than just verifying transactions when people are sending each other Bitcoin. They can be used to verify anything. Remember, this is a public transparent ledger. Just to give you an idea of some use cases out there, well, it can be used for identity. And this is actually a big one because if you think about us, you know, most people listening to this call, I would assume we're in the United States and we're blessed to be you know, born in a country that is developed, but there's many countries out there that are underdeveloped and underserved. How do these individuals have any chance of having a net worth or an identity if you don't have that infrastructure in place? These people, they don't have a DMV. They don't have a bank to go to. Well, the blockchain is something that can solve this really big picture where you have to remember there's about 2 billion people out there in the, in the world that are unbanked. So through the use of if they had Internet and a cell phone, 
they could essentially too have an identity as well as a sense of net worth through the use of cryptocurrencies and the blockchain. How about supply chains? Supply chains could be significantly upgraded. Here's an example. Everybody wants something that's organic, right? Well, besides there being a little maybe green sticker on there that says that that orange is organic, how do we really know it's organic? The blockchain, you can put a barcode on one of these oranges and scan it, and you can see from start to finish the lineage of the whole shipping process that occurred from where this originated and all the stops that it made along the way through use of the blockchain, medical records, property records. Now, voting, we don't ever want any discrepancies in any kind of voting records. That can all be put on a blockchain. And there's also something called smart contracts, which I think is really interesting because you know our dollar was adapted to the digital age. Cryptocurrencies were created for the digital age. And because of that, you can actually have what's called smart contracts, which is programmable money. You can program certain things to occur. And we'll get into that in a couple of examples of ways that this can be used in mortgage and real estate to really change the game and change the way that things look in the future. So I'll pause there, Pat, just to see, first of all, if we have any questions on the way yeah. cryptocurrencies work. Right. Uh, Dan, talk about, I was interested in the fact that it's it's capped, let's say, with Bitcoin of 21 million. And so who determined that it was capped? And then I have another question regarding this issue of, again, we're seeing this as an individual ability to, in other words, um, do away with third parties like banks and so forth. But at some point, the government will become involved. And I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. So my two questions center on where did the cap come from? Where, where, why was that determined? And then talk about how you see this kind of playing out. Yes. So nobody knows the exact individual that created the Bitcoin protocol, which is essentially like the Bitcoin program. Sure. Uh, Satoshi Nakamoto is is kind of like the, the code name that this individual goes by. And he created like a white paper that really kind of explained what Bitcoin was. But it is, in fact, a protocol that was created in such that there can only ever be 21 Bitcoin ever mined. And remember, the way that you get more Bitcoins into the system is by verifying the transactions and keeping the ledger accurate and safe. Now, because it's really done mathematically with how often Bitcoins can be mined and what the reward is, and every four years the reward gets cut in half, it's thought that estimated the last Bitcoin to ever be mined will be in the year 2140. So that is when the last Bitcoin will ever be mined. But these individuals or these computers that are still verifying transactions, they will still be financially incented to do so because you're going to get any fees that are attached with any of these transactions because there's always fees with transactions, right? They're never free. Right. So that is kind of how it works. And then to your second question, listen, one of the big question marks out there with cryptocurrencies and the blockchain is certainly regulation. And it's, it is a big question mark in that what are they going to do? Now, you've had other countries out there such as China, that have really done their best to ban Bitcoin and ban cryptocurrencies. However, it's interesting to see that it's hard to ban a decentralized asset just because of the nature of it, right? So they can try to say you can't do this, but much of it is not able to be tracked. And the other thing is, is that it just speaking to the strength of the decentralized network, when they banned it, you saw the price of Bitcoin go down and you saw all the mining that was being done go down because a significant amount of it was done in China. Well, this has now since not only picked back up 
to where it was pre-China, but now it is way higher at record high levels as far as things like the hash rate and how much mining is being done and the minor revenues and such. So um, it just speaks to how resilient the Bitcoin network is. But it is a big question mark as far as what's going to be happening you know, in the United States. Some countries have already made it legal tender where Bitcoin is actually legal tender, like the dollar is legal tender here. Look at El Salvador. And some other countries have banned it. Some other countries are saying that they want to adapt to it. I think that the countries that are more pro-cryptocurrencies are going to have a benefit. Some of them are actually trying to create their own uh, digital uh, stable currencies uh, for their version of like the Federal Reserve, which is which is a pretty interesting thing. So I don't think it's going anywhere in the United States. We've already had people like the president, people like Jerome Powell, who's the Fed chair, come out and say that, listen, we are not going to be banning cryptocurrencies here. But they do want to have some type of regulation so there can be some more clarity regarding them. But this is all going to be stuff that I think we'll get some more uh, clarity on in 2022. But much of it is is unknown as far as how much they're going to regulate it. But I can tell you that from a tax standpoint, you know, there's been some things that right now cryptocurrencies are are viewed not as like in an asset, like a stock, but they're viewed as property. And I do think that's going to be changing in 2022. But what I mean by that is this, is that you can do something called tax harvesting with cryptocurrencies as the law stands today. So what I mean by that is that let's say you own cryptocurrencies, let's say you own Bitcoin, and it was at, just to use round numbers, $100. Well, if sometime during the year it went down to, let's say, $50, you could have sold it at that time and bought it right back a second later and locked in that $50 loss. And then you could go ahead and apply that towards any capital gains that you had for the year. Whereas with a stock, there's a rule called the wash sale rule, where if you're at a loss in a position, you can sell it for a loss, but you can't buy it back for at least 30 days in order to be able to use that loss towards any future capital gains that you have. That is not in place as we speak, but I'm pretty sure that's going to be changed because people are exploiting that tax benefit of cryptocurrencies. They did a ton of that in 2021. So I believe in 2022, that rule is going to be changed. The other thing you have to realize about cryptocurrencies is that anytime you use them to buy something, or let's say you sell them, obviously, or if you use them to buy a product, if you use them to buy a car or a house, that is a taxable event. So that's why it's a little bit difficult to try to imagine Bitcoin in its current state being used a lot for buying of goods and services. Because if I had all of a sudden, let's say I had, let's say I had 10 Bitcoin and let's say I was at a really big winning position with that. Maybe I bought it a few years ago at a much lower price. Well, if I want to go buy a million dollar house with some, some of my Bitcoin, I would not only have to give them my Bitcoin, but that would be a taxable event where I'd also have to pay any capital gains taxes on any of my gains that I had. So it ends up being a very expensive proposition if you're sitting at a gain in those positions, if that makes sense. Yes, it does. And talk about from the standpoint of the mortgage space and how you see this. Obviously, our real estate agent uh, talked about how he sees all of these transactions ending up, or well, a large part of them ending up as having um, uh, cryptocurrencies. But how do you really see this playing out? And if you're a lender, what should you be doing? Well, you know, there's some companies out there that have started to merge with blockchain companies. So I think that some of those companies have have like kind of a leg up in, in really trying to 
be on the forefront of this. And we, we even saw companies like UWM that started to allow Bitcoin to purchase homes um, and, and to take out loans. But there wasn't much interest, at least at this point. So they've since rescinded that product that they had, but they did do like a test run on it. But like I said, I think it's going to be difficult to see people necessarily just going out there and buying Bitcoin like um, outright for homes because of that taxable event that happens. I'm sure some people will do it. Uh, but I do think that you're going to see a lot more lending with Bitcoin, right? So there's some interesting things you can do in cryptocurrencies. Think about how our savings accounts work today and how a bank works, right? So we give banks our deposits. So we have our savings account or we have our money market account. And you know the average return on those is like 0.06%. So essentially, you're getting nothing in interest. And if you look at inflation at 7.5% per year, well, you're negatively yielding inflation by a big margin. So the bank, what they do is they take your deposits and then they go ahead and they lend out your deposits to other comp to other people, other companies, and then they make the spread because they're going to charge them a certain interest rate. So they're giving you 0.06%. Maybe they're charging on a business loan, I don't know, 5% or so, and they make that spread almost, you know, 4.94% you know, they make on that. Well, because we're removing the banks and cryptocurrencies, you know, you can actually earn that interest. And what I mean by that is, is that there's many different exchanges that allow you to go on there and take your cryptocurrencies, whether it's you know Ethereum or some of these different altcoins or even what's called stable coins. And what a stable coin is, is a stable coin mimics the dollar one-to-one. So there's one called UST, USDT, USDC. These are essentially coins that mimic the dollar one-to-one. So one of those stable coins equals one US dollar. So it's only going to change with the price of the dollar, but it's not going to be volatile like you think of when you think of cryptocurrencies that can go up by a big margin or go down by a big margin. And then what you can do is you can essentially act as the bank. So you go on these different exchanges and you can essentially provide liquidity and put these coins into these different accounts. And then you can get high single digit interest on these. So you can get eight, nine percent on stable coins, which are extremely safe. And if you put $100,000 worth in there, you can get like eight or $9,000 a year in interest, which is obviously way better than you can do if you were to go ahead and put your money into a savings account or a money market account. So there's some benefit that you get since we're removing banks in this type of equation. But specific to lending, I think that you're going to see a lot more people doing uh, loans based on their cryptocurrencies, right? So using their cryptocurrencies as collateral, I think you can see a lot of that occurring. Uh, but you know, how it's going to necessarily impact the mortgage space is a bit unclear at the time, especially because of regulation. But I do think that there are some headwinds to using Bitcoin to buy homes because of that taxable event. But I do think that the blockchain can certainly make a lot of changes um, in, in mortgage and real estate, whether it's verification and, and credit. Um, but also, you know, we're seeing examples of real estate already being put on blockchains. So there's websites out there that you can go to. One of them is called Propy. One of them is called Realty. And what you can actually do is go to these websites and take your US dollars and transfer them into what their native currency is. It's a cryptocurrency. And then what they've done is they've taken physical real estate investment properties and they put them on a blockchain. So what that means is this, you can buy fractional shares of real estate directly right through this website within a matter of minutes once you're approved as far as being an accredited investor and, and you know having your identity approved and things of that nature. So I can buy as much or as little of this real estate property as I want. 
And then the yield gets paid to you daily. And that's the rental payment, essentially. And it gives you your pro rata share. So if I buy 10% of the property in, in these coins, well, then I'll get 10% of that yield and it's broken up on a daily basis for you. And then at any time I want, as long as there's a liquid market for it, I can go ahead and sell those coins that I have and sell a portion or all of my investment in that real estate property. So it's pretty cool some of the stuff that's being done already. But some other ideas that I have for ways that things can be changed is really more pertaining to record keeping and how that can be improved with the blockchain. You know, everything right now is extremely manual. If you think about identity and, and let's say your license, right? Everything has to go back to a central organization. In this case, what? The DMV. How about property records, right? Did you ever spend time at a local recorder's office, right? There's a physical deed that has to be delivered, manually entered into the county central database and public index. If there's a dispute, you know, claims to the property have to be reconciled with the public index. About 25% of all you know, title has some kind of defects on it, right? So the blockchain can eliminate the need for scanning documents, tracking down physical files in a local office. If the property ownership is stored and verified on the blockchain, the blockchain creates a trustless environment, meaning that I don't have to know the person across the table, but I can know with certainty that the deed is accurate and permanently recorded, and there's no liens against the property. Now, smart contracts is something that I had mentioned to you that I think can really change the game, specifically in real estate. You know, let's say that somebody wanted to lease an apartment, if a tenant wanted to lease an apartment, and the landlord agrees to give the tenant the door code to the apartment as soon as a tenant pays the security deposit. So you have these smart contracts that can automatically hold on to things and automatically exchange them to the counterparties. So we can exchange the door code for the secured deposit on the date that the lease begins. If the landlord doesn't supply the door code by the lease date, the smart contract can refund the security deposit. It eliminates the processes typically associated with the use of a notary, a third party mediator, attorneys. And when we talk specifically about title, you know, once a global registry exists, downloading the entire chain of the property's ownership records will be able to take seconds. And with the move towards everything being more digital, like e-closings and digital signatures, when you're not going to need wet signatures anymore, it can really make real estate very fluid and simple. You know, imagine executing a smart contract after locating a home online. You click a few buttons, you can update the ownership, transfer funds between party, all via the blockchain. You can hold somebody's title in escrow essentially on the blockchain and you can also hold the security deposit and you can have these things exchanged with each other so do i think that it's going to replace title agents or real estate agents no i do not i think that you're still going to have the need for these individuals you can't account for certain things on the blockchain right you can't account for prior irs liens or new nuisance liens or municipal code violations but I do think that roles will change a little bit. I do think that processes can be made much faster, much cheaper, and with less human error. So I do think that it's important to be on the forefront of this and to understand because, listen, whether people like it or not, these are the types of things that are going to be coming and probably going to be coming sooner than many people think. Well, Dan, that's certainly a wonderful discussion about this world that seems so uh, you know, complex, and you really explained it well. Um, we only have a couple minutes left. Uh, why don't you wrap it up by a couple takeaways that our listeners could have on the topic? Yeah, so listen, uh, cryptocurrencies are clearly one of the 
I think, most exciting asset classes out there, one of the most popular right now. And it's for good reason. If you look over the last 10 years, Bitcoin's return is a million percent. Gold, gold's return is 7% and the S&P 500 is 224%. If you look just over the last three years, Bitcoin's return is over a thousand percent where gold is up 40% and the S&P is up 59%, right? So yes, with cryptocurrencies, there can be a ton of volatility, uh, but there's also can be very outsized gains. And I think we're still very early, both as an, in an investment class, but also on how it's going to impact business. So if you want to learn more about cryptocurrencies, I suggest that you do some research. And one of the things that you had been nice enough to mention at the beginning of the call that I've created a company called Crypto Charged. That's Crypto Charged. And that is something that you can sign up for a two-week membership if you want to give us a try and check it out. But we educate you every day on what's happening in the crypto markets. We break down the news, the technical analysis by looking at the charts, something called on-chain analysis. Since everything operates on a blockchain, you can actually analyze that data and really help you from start to finish on, number one, how you can invest in it and where and how, but also keep you up to date on how some of these things are going to be changing the world as we know it, including mortgage and real estate. Well, Dan, I think you're doing fabulous, and I think this is a terrific uh, topic for sure. As a, I was the next Wall Street person, I find this fascinating, and so I'm glad that you were able to share your wisdom on it. I highly recommend Dan's uh, new company because I do think um, the earlier you're involved with this, the better off you will be. So I want to thank Dan, and I want to thank everybody for listening, and I certainly appreciate you spending time with us. Thanks again, Dan. No, it was a pleasure. Thanks for having me and, and happy to come back as some of this develops throughout the year as we get some more clarity on stuff. Uh, hope yeah. to chat again. Yeah, we'll have you back for sure. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We appreciate you spending time with us. If your sales team needs training in hiring and lead generation, schedule a free consultation by emailing me at psherlock at qfsconsulting.com.